The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block, allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast. Today is Friday. It is the 1st of March. Spring is here. And it snowed last night. Tremendous stuff. Uh, No guy with us today. He is struck down by some sort of bug. So it is just me. 
Uh, so I'm just going to do predictions and then news and gossip. So here we go. No game tonight. No early game tomorrow because reasons. We have six 3 p.m. games tomorrow because reasons. We have one 5.30 game tomorrow. And then we have two games on Sunday and one on Monday night. So let's start with... Newcastle versus Wolves, because it's the first one listed in front of me. Guy does them alphabetically. I'm going to do them as they're listed in front of me. Uh, Toon are 10th in the league, and Wolves are 9th in the league. So this is a mid-table clash. But both teams have had strange seasons. Wolves' season is weird because of what happened just before their season. Toon's season is weird because they were so good last year and have fallen off so much this year. I mean, they just don't look... I know they've got some injuries, and everybody has injuries, though. But they just don't look like the same team as they did last year. I mean, they've conceded 45 goals through 26 games. Last season, they conceded 33 goals through 38 games. And you'd excuse it if they were scoring a ton more. Last year, they scored 68. This year, they scored 54. It's not a massive amount more. But they're probably on track to hit, what, 75-ish, 76-ish goals in the league? I mean, yeah, it, I suppose it's, it's nine, nine, ten more than last year. Is that worth sacrificing so much defensively? Because they're going to be at 55-plus conceded. Last year, their goal difference on the year was plus 35. This year, it's plus 9. And they still have their key pieces. Again, they've had injuries, but everybody has injuries. Everybody has injuries. And if your manager isn't making alterations to the way you're playing, the way you're preparing, then that has to fall on him. And I think Eddie Howe is going to be under intense pressure between now and the end of the season because those owners want to win. They don't want to be finishing 10th. Now, the plus side is a win here and results elsewhere go go again, uh, go in your favour. You could be up to 7th. But Wolves aren't just going to come and roll over. If we look at the form table, in the home form table, Newcastle are 14th. Two wins, two draws, two defeats, and a plus one goal difference. In terms of the away form, Wolves are fifth. Three wins, one draw, two defeats, and a plus two goal difference. In the last 10 games, Wolves are fifth with six wins, a draw, and three defeats, plus five. And Newcastle are 14th. Three wins, two draws, five defeats, minus three. Now, things have gotten better for the tune over the last six games, but they're still only 11th in the form table with two wins, two draws, two defeats, and a minus one goal difference. Whereas Wolves are still in the top half. They're seventh with three wins, a draw, two defeats, and plus one. So coming into this game, whatever way you look at it, Wolves are in better form. Now, injury-wise... This is a game that proves that everybody has injuries. You've got Callum Wilson, Jolington, 
Nick Pope, Matt Target, and a doubt over Sven Botman, but Botman should be fine. For Wolves, you've got Matthias Cunha and Huang. So you've got both of their starting number nines out. Now, Huang is a huge blow. That's a huge blow because he'd been playing really, really well since coming back from the Asian Cup. And it timed really well for them because he came back around the time Cunha got injured. Without either of them, are they going to play Neto as a false nine or Sarabia as a false nine? That's probably the way they'll have to go. That's going to be tough to find goals. They're not a team that scores a whole bunch anyway. Only 40 goals scored on the season. But I think I'm going to go the draw here. Just with the form. Wolves are decent defensively. They're good in midfield. I think they can match Newcastle in midfield. Even though Gamerish is comfortably the best midfielder of the group. But if I'm looking at these attacking options, Newcastle at least can put out a fully formed attack. They can go Almiron or Barnes plus Isak plus Gordon. Wolves don't. But at the same time, Wolves have Neto, who as a counter-attacking option away from home might be the most dangerous player in the league. So I'm going to go the draw. I will go 1-1. Uh, up next is Tottenham versus Crystal Palace. Tottenham obviously sit fifth in the league. Crystal Palace up to 13th, having taken four points in their last two games post Roy Hodgson. Uh, Form-wise, in the last six, Tottenham are fifth. Three wins, two draws, one defeat plus three. Palace are 12th. Two wins, a draw, and three defeats. Now it is minus six in the goal column, which isn't good. Over the last 10, Spurs are actually fourth and Palace are 12th. Home form has Spurs second. So home form has been good, though. They did lose last time out at home to Wolves. Away form, Crystal Palace are the worst team in the league over the last six games. Three draws, three defeats. Minus nine in the goal difference. That's not ideal. Now, Palace are getting their new manager bump. Whether that's enough to go into Spurs and get a result. If they were fully formed and have it, had everybody available, sure. But Decoure is done for the season. Rob Holding's out long term. Mark Wehi's out for six weeks or so. Michael Elise is out for another six weeks. Will Hughes is out. No, sorry, Will Hughes is back. Yoki Manderson is back. The big news for them is that Eberichi Eze looks like he's back. And that's huge. That is massive because he's he's such an important player for them. He's so good. One of the, I think, better playmakers in the league. Certainly one of the best dribblers in the league. Uh, Raksaki is still out. For Spurs, no Sessegnon. Looks like he's done for the season. That, that poor lad is just, he's had a nightmare of a year. Uh, Fraser Forster, he's out for eight weeks or something. He's got a fractured foot. Richarlison's going to miss the next couple of weeks with a knee injury, which is a big blow because he was starting to play pretty well. Pedro Poro's probably another week away. Destiny Adoiji might be back, but they might not want to risk him. And Manor Solomon out for another couple of weeks. I am going to go with the Tottenham win because they're the better team. 
they're the comfortably the better team. And I think the injuries that Palace have are more impactful than the injuries that Spurs have, even though not having Poro and Adoiji is tough because the two of them have been great this year, but also because the other options that Spurs have don't play the same way. Young could have, but he's missed the whole season. Um, Jed Spence could have, but they loaned him out twice. But I still think they've got enough in midfield. They've got enough in attack. Whereas with Palace, you're missing your best defender, your best midfielder in Decore, best sitting midfielder, and you're missing your best attacking player in Elise. You've only got one of your four best players. That's going to be tough. I'll go 3 1 to Spurs. Uh, Nottingham Forest versus Liverpool. So Liverpool obviously top, Nottingham Forest in 17th and pending points deduction. So Liverpool come into this game as the clear favourites. Over the last six games, Liverpool are third in the form table, five wins and a draw. Nottingham Forest are 16th, one win, one draw, four defeats. Over the last 10 games, Liverpool are second, seven wins, two draws, one defeat. And Forest again, 16th, three wins, one draw, six defeats. Now, Forest's home form has not been great. Two wins and four defeats, minus two in the goal difference. They're 17th in the home form table, whereas Liverpool are top of the away form table. Five wins and one defeat with a plus 10 goal difference. Liverpool have been really good away from home this year. Now, Liverpool have a lot of injuries, but Forrest have some injuries as well. No Ola Ena, no Nuno Tavares, no Chris Wood. Ibrahim Sanger, still unlikely to play. Willie Bolly, still unlikely to play. They came back from AFCON with, with issues. Liverpool, no Matip, no Jota, no Trent, no Becker, no Basetic, no Jones. Salah was ruled out by Klopp today. No Gravenberg. Nunes is back. Endo's back in training, so should be fine. Robertson is back. McAllister is back. Sabozlai is back. But Thiago Alcantara is out. So Liverpool missing a lot of players and a lot of key players as well in terms of Trent, Becker, Jota and Jones and Salah, obviously. But getting Nunes back, getting Sabozlai back and having Endo and Robertson apparently be good to go in this game is a big, big deal for them. I'm going to go 3-1 to Liverpool. I think I think it's a game they should win. I think it's a game they'll have enough to win. Forrest have poor goalkeepers, whoever they play. Their defence is extremely questionable, especially with Felipe in it. And I don't like the balance in midfield without Sanger, so I'm going to go for the Liverpool win. Uh, Brentford versus Chelsea. Brentford are 16th and in dreadful form. Chelsea are 11th and not in particularly good form. So last six, Chelsea are eighth in the form table, three wins, one draw, two defeats. Brentford are 18th, one win and five defeats. Over the last 10, Brentford are 18th with two wins and eight defeats. And Chelsea are eighth with five wins, one draw and four defeats. Brentford are 18th in the home form table with two wins and four defeats. And Chelsea in the away form table are eighth. So Chelsea consistently eighth, 
Brighton, or sorry, Brentford consistently uh, garbage. That's basically <laughs> how it works out. Um, very disappointing season for Brentford, but still think they'll be fine. Still think they'll stay up. They've got enough about them. They've got a lot of injuries. No Josh De Silva, no Rico Henry, no Aaron Hickey, no Kevin Shaddy, who was meant to be back in February. And now they're saying it'll be late April. Ethan Pinnock and Brian and Bomo both out for this this whole month. And Ben Mee has been ruled out for the season, which is a huge blow. Especially because when they play the top teams, Thomas Frank likes to play a back three. And without Ben Mee, they don't have a left-footed centre-back. And with Ethan Pinnock out, they only really have three fit centre-backs. And one of them is Zanka, who's pushing 40. He's probably not. He's probably like 34, 35. But he moves like he's pushing 40. So Nathan Collins will have to come back in. Collins and Ayer I do like as two-thirds of back three or as a centre-back pairing in a four. But Collins needs to be the middle one. He cannot play the right-sided role, and he certainly can't play the left-sided role, which would be my fear ahead of this one. Uh, Chelsea have a few injury issues. No Wes Fafana and Kunku out again is huge. No Reese James, no Badi Ashile, no Chuk no Lavia, but Thiago Silva is back, and Mark Kukurea is close to returning. Uh, Leslie Ogachukwu also out. But like in fairness, there's James is a starter. Fafana might be a starter. All the rest are squad players and one of them actively makes them worse. So the injuries in number look severe. In reality, they don't actually impact the team a huge amount because you've got Malo Gusto to step in for James, who's really good. And you've got the Sassi to step in for Fafana, who's not as good defensively but is better on the ball and is probably a slightly better fit next to Colwell, even though it's not a centre-back pairing. I don't think you'd want if you're trying to win anything. Uh, Brentford are at home, so I'm going to back them to get something here. We're going to go the draw. We'll go 2-2. Everton versus West Ham, the David Moyes derby. Everton are 15th now that they've had their points, uh, four of their points given back to them. West Ham are 8th. West Ham had a really good win over Brentford on Monday night. Jared Bowen looked in great form. They'll want to continue that into this one because they've been a little bit ropey of late. Uh, Over the last six games, Everton are 14th in the form table. No wins, five draws, one defeat. West Ham, 15th in the form table. One win, two draws, three defeats. But while, while Everton's goal difference is only minus two, West Ham's is minus nine because Arsenal pumped them. Uh, over the last 10, Everton are 17th, one win, five draws, four defeats. And West Ham are ninth, four wins, four draws, four defeats. Home form table. Everton are 13th, two wins, three draws, and one defeat in their last six home games, plus three in the goal difference, which is good. And West Ham's away form is ninth. Two wins, one draw, three defeats, minus seven because they got pumped. Um, I am actually, that was a home game. So that didn't contribute to this. So that's not good at all. 
I'm going to say, based on the injuries, West Ham, no Corney, but everybody else is available. And Everton, no Delhi, no Danjuma. Idrissagana Gay's a doubt. Lewis Dobbins a doubt. Onana's a doubt. And Andre Gomes is a doubt. I'm going to say West Ham go there and win. I'm going to go 2-1 to the Hammers. And at that, I'm going to take a break. When we come back, we'll go through the other five games. So I'll see you after this. Right, welcome back. So we'll get into our last five Premier League games. First up, we have Fulham home to Brighton. Fulham are 12th, Brighton are 7th. Seven points separating them in the league. In terms of form over the last six games, very little to, to separate them at all. Both have taken eight points, both have two wins, two draws, two defeats, but uh, Brighton have a slightly better goal difference, plus three against plus one. Over 10 games, Brighton are 10th. Three wins, four draws, three defeats, plus three in the goal column. Fulham are 15th, which is a surprise, but they didn't have that bad run. Three wins, two draws, minus six in the goal column. Home form, Fulham are eighth. It's pretty good. Three wins, a draw, and two defeats, plus five. Brighton's away form is 12th in the league. One win, two draws, three defeats, minus two. So not great at all there. Uh, Fulham injuries, Raul Jimenez out. Joao Polina is suspended. He got a two-game suspension for 10 yellow cards. But Willian is back and Harrison Reed is back. So they're both big pluses. Brighton, no Matoma. I think he's going to miss the rest of the season, to be totally honest. Uh, Solly March... It looks like he'll probably be the end of the season as well. Hinchelwood is mid-May, so maybe for the season. Joe Pedro's a couple of weeks away. Gilmore is suspended. James Milner's out for another couple of weeks. But Evan Ferguson is back. Joel Veltman is back. And Tariq Lamptey is back. So they're all pluses. Um, Fulham are home. And Fulham can be quite direct and quite powerful, and they're the type of teams that cause Brighton problems. Brighton haven't had the right chemistry in their team this year. Now, they've got all the players you'd need to go there and win. But I think I'm going to back Fulham. I think I'm going to go 2-1 to Fulham. Uh, Moving on to Luton against Aston Villa. Luton are 18th. Villa are 4th. In the form table, last six games, Villa are sixth, three wins, a draw, two defeats. Luton are 13th, one win, two draws, and three defeats. Over the last 10 games, Villa are sixth, five wins, two draws, three defeats. Luton are 13th, three wins, two draws, and five defeats. And obviously with Luton being the home team here, Kenilworth Road has been a fairly tough place for teams to go, but the problem Luton have had is they've they've given away first halves in a few games. So they've only won two of their last six at home with four defeats and a goal difference of zero. Villa's away form has been surprisingly decent. They're actually third in the away form table. Three wins, two draws, one defeat. And away football has been, or away games rather, have, has been an issue for Emery in the past, but he seems to be getting his hands on it this year. Uh, Plus six in the goal column. Injury-wise, Villa have issues at centre-back and in midfield, so no Bubakar Kamara. 
he's had his ACL surgery. We'll see him again in October. Emmy Buendia and Tyron Mings, they had ACL surgeries back at the start of the season. They're both out till summer. John Duran is another month away. Diego Carlos is a few weeks away. Esri Conza, though, is back, and that's huge because they thought they were going to be without him for the rest of the season, but he is back. And Pau Torres is, is a touch and go, but looks like he should be okay. If they have both of them, they're okay. If they have Clement Langley and Callum Chambers, they're in significant trouble because Luton will look to bombard them if it's those two. Luton, no Lockyer for obvious reasons. He's not going to play again this season. We'll see if he ever plays again. I would be hesitant to allow him to play again, personally. Uh, no Marvellous Nakamba, but Gabriel Osho is back. Adebayo is out, Brown is out, and Anderson is out. But Lakonga is back. Amari Bell should be back soon. Maybe not for this one. And Dan Potts has been out all season. I'm just going to back Villa to win because they are a significantly better team. And they're right in this mix right now. And they will want to keep pace with the top three. They're six points behind Arsenal. But they'll know that there's going to be games coming up where maybe Arsenal drop points. And maybe they can close that gap on them. And they'll also want to keep the gap they have on Spurs, which is five points, but Spurs do have a game in hand. Spurs would win that game in hand, which is against against Chelsea. It'd only be two points. And Villa, no, that's really risky. One defeat and Spurs can jump you. So they'll want to keep grinding away and getting as many points on the board as they possibly can. Burnley against Bournemouth. Burnley are 19th and awful. Bournemouth are 14th, though level on points with Palace. But they've dropped off from that really good run of form that they had. Uh, In the last six games, Bournemouth are 19th, three wins, three draws. Burnley are 20th, two wins, four draws. So neither of these teams have won in their last 12 games combined, which generally isn't a sign that you want to watch this game, but this game is being televised at 1pm on Sunday. Uh, In terms of the last 10 games, Bournemouth are 11th, three wins, three draws, four defeats. Burnley are 20th, one win, two draws, and seven defeats. Burnley are home. Their home form is 19th in the league. One win, two draws, three defeats. Bournemouth's away form is actually not bad. It's seventh in the league, two wins, two draws, two defeats. Injury-wise, Burnley, no Ramsey done for the season, ACL tear. Uh, No Nathan Redmond done for the season. Lyle Foster doesn't look like he's going to be back. Cody Oshu, I reckon he's probably done for the season, but they're suggesting he might be back in early May. I have doubts. Josh Brownhill is suspended and Jordan Byer is also out. Bournemouth, no Ryan Fredericks, no Tyler Adams. End of the month, they're saying for him. No James Hill. Lloyd Kelly, probably a week away. Dominic Solanke, maybe a week away. Uh, Ennis Younow should be okay. Um, I think he got an x-ray on his clavicle. It turns out that it's, it's fine. And then Max Aaron's probably done for the season. 
which is is tough for them because he was starting to play well. Um, Burnley are at home, but they're dreadful. Bournemouth are a better team, but they're in bad form. Do we just go 1-1 and move along? I think we go 1-1 and move along to the Manchester Derby City at home to Manchester United. 3.30 kickoff, not 4.30, 3.30 kickoff on 30. Jeez, I couldn't sound more Irish, could I? Uh, 3.30 kickoff on Sunday rather than the normal 4.30. Uh, and that's why the Burnley-Brentford game, a Burnley-Bournemouth game was also brought forward to 1 o'clock as opposed to the usual 2 o'clock slot. So City are second, United are sixth, 15 points between them. In the last six games, City are second in the form table with five wins and a draw. United are fourth with four wins, a draw and a defeat. Over the last 10 games, City are top, eight wins, two draws. United are seventh, five wins, two draws, three defeats. City's home form is actually fourth in the league, which isn't great for them. Four wins, two draws. United's away form is sixth, three wins, a draw and two defeats. Injury-wise... City have no Jack Grealish and no Josco Gvardiol, probably a week away. Grealish will probably be out for about a month. United, no Luke Shaw, no Lissandra Martinez, no Anthony Martial, no Tyrell Malachia, no Rasmus Hoysland, which is a big one for them, obviously. No Mason Mount still, no Juan Bissaka, and Harry Maguire is a doubt. Um, I don't know what they're going to do. Do we get Varane and Evans at centre-back with Lindelof at left-back and Deleuze at right-back? I don't understand why you wouldn't put Deleuze at left-back and play Lindelof right-back if they're going to be the full-backs. Like, even with the Amrabat thing, like, why wouldn't he be the right-back and you put Deleuze left-back? I just don't understand Ten Hag's thinking on this. Um, Onana is playing better than he did earlier in the season, but he's still not been great. The midfield... Kobe Mainu's been a big, big plus, but it doesn't really function all that well with him and Casemiro because Casemiro can't move anymore. Bruno Fernandes is in very poor form. Rashford's in poor form. Garnacho has dipped. Anthony, he's just awful. Um, I just, I just don't see them going to the Etihad and getting points, but they've done it in the past. They've gone there when they were dreadful and gotten points. Did it under Ollie. They went, they just bedded in and tried to hit City on the counter-attack. And that's going to have to be what they do here. And City can be got at on the counter because they're not the quickest defensively. Kyle Walker has good pace, but no longer elite-level pace. Aki's quick enough, but not rapid. The two centre-backs, if it's Stones and Diaz or Stones and Akanji, they're not all that quick. Um... I still think City will win. Like It's Haaland, it's KDB, it's Bernardo, it's Foden. Those are all playing really, really well. Rodri's playing brilliantly. If City will win, we'll go 3-1 to City. And that gives us our last game, which is Sheffield United home to Arsenal. Sheffield United are 20th, Arsenal are third. Do we need to do anything else on this? Arsenal are going to win this game. But anyway, form. Arsenal top over the last six games with six wins. Sheffield United 17th, one win and a draw, four defeats. Over the last 10 games, Arsenal are third, seven wins, a draw, two defeats. 
Sheffield United are 19th, one win, two draws and seven defeats. Sheffield United's home form is the worst in the league. One win, one draw, four defeats. Arsenal's away form is fourth in the league, three wins, a draw and two defeats. Injury-wise, Sheffield United loads. Max Lowe, Reese Norrington Davis, Chris Basham, John Egan, Cameron Archer, Anise Ben Sleman. Mason Holgate and Daniel Jebison all out, but George Baldock and Ben Brayton Diaz are back. Arsenal, no timber. Uh, no Zinchenko's touch and go. Tomiyasu's touch and go. And Partey's touch and go. But I mean, we, we heard that a month ago and then he disappeared again. So, um, Arsenal win 3 0. We'll just, we'll just go with that because. What's the point in trying to dig into anything else? Arsenal are good. Sheffield United are dreadful. Arsenal should go there and win. And if they don't win, it will be quite embarrassing for them if they fail to win that game. And I just don't think they'll allow that to happen. I do think they'll drop quite a number of points between now and the end of the season. This won't be one of the games in which they drop points in. Uh, We'll go to our second break. We'll come back and do the gossip and be done. See you after this. Right, welcome back. So Paul Pogba says he is sad and shocked at his four-year ban for doping. Um, I'm not really sure. Oh, he's also heartbroken. I'm not really sure how he could be. Uh, He's been suspended since September. I assume he will be granted, you know, that time against the four years. Failed his first test in September, failed a second sample in October, and Pogba said he believed that the verdict was incorrect and he would never knowingly or deliberately dope. He said, everything I have built in my professional career has been taken away from me. You've been garbage for seven years. You had one really good season in that time, one good season and five that were dreadful. Now, last season you were injured a bunch, but still, you were at United and you took the piss. You're easily the biggest flop in Premier League history when we take into account cost, because all in, 90 million fee, 30 million agents fee, 20 million signing bonus, that's 140 million. Six years at 20 million a year, that's 260 million. And there will have been some bonuses paid for goals for the cups that he won when he was there, all two of them. Maybe add another 15 million. You're talking 275 million. He left on a free and he was garbage most weeks. He is one of, if I think, I think comfortably the biggest flop. Given the hype around him, like Nicola Pepe, you could make a case for, there's others as well down the years, but given the hype around Pogba when he came back to United from Juve, it was just like nothing we've ever seen in the Premier League before. The whole, Even when Cristiano came back, when Haaland signed, it was nothing like the circus around Pogba, the whole Pog back thing. Adidas did a whole campaign. Twitter released an emoji for him. And all that nonsense. And he was garbage. So, yeah. He'll be able to play again, actually says it here, he'll be able to play again in September of 2027. 
Juventus will will surely just cut bait at this point and release him because he's definitely violated the contract that um, he's definitely violated the contract that he has signed with, with Juve. Utterly, <clears throat> utterly dreadful. What a waste of talent. Uh, <laughs> this is good. Bayern Munich have triggered their deal to make Eric Dyer a permanent signing in the summer. I I just don't understand it. He is so bad. Bayern Munich have fallen off massively. I can only assume he's there to keep Harry Kane company. That That's the only explanation. Liverpool will be prepared to listen to offers for Luis Diaz in the summer if Mohamed Salah agrees a new deal. I, I think they'll listen to offers on him anyway. And I would be accepting those offers if they're decent. Liverpool would demand a fee of more than 100 million to sell Salah to the Saudi Pro League this summer. I, I think they'd demand more and I think they'd get more if he wants to go. Arsenal are set to open talks with Jorginho over a new contract. Didn't I say that yesterday? Tottenham are continuing to monitor Conor Gallagher's situation at Chelsea. I just don't see how he fits at Tottenham. Where's he playing? He's not getting in over Basuma. He's not getting in over Papa Matar Sar. He's not getting in over James Madison. He doesn't really fit in any of those roles either. He's awful in a double pivot. So would he be your backup 10? Are you really going to pay that kind of money for a backup 10 who's not creative? Aurelio De Laurinaitis says he cannot stop players like Victor Osterman leaving the club this summer, but says the strikers release clauses for a lot of money. I'd imagine Osterman can't wait to be away from him. Brighton boss Roberto De Zerbi is a very strong candidate to become the next manager of Manchester United. Well, the best of luck to him. Hitafe are op- ready to open talks with Manchester United about extending Mason Greenwood's stay at the club by agreeing another loan deal or potentially a permanent move. Barcelona want to keep Joe Canseo and Joe Felix and are willing to offer Manchester City between 15 and 20 million for Canseo and take Felix on another loan. I don't think Atleti would be open to another loan, but I don't know, maybe they would. Chelsea could move for Aaron Ramsdale. He doesn't solve their problem. Trevor Chalobah wants to stay at Chelsea and is disappointed the club are considering selling him. They've been considering selling you for three years. Eric Dyer has met the always contractual obligations. It must have been number of appearances, but that's dreadful for Byron. Uh, Manchester United and Aston Villa have sent scouts to watch Raul Bellanova of Torino this season. I'd be surprised if he doesn't find his way back to enter this summer. I I think they might look to sell Dumfries and go back and buy Bellanova. They had him on loan from Cagliari and for whatever reason decided not to take him up on it and not, not to take up the option that they had to buy him. He fits really well at Inter. And if they had him and DeMarco as their wingbacks, that's really strong. So I think they might do that. Um, Roma are interested in appointing Richard Hughes to a role at the club next season. I don't know why people think he's good. He just isn't. Bayern Munich are willing to pay up to €100 million to sign Antonio Silva. 
this doesn't make any sense. He's really, really good. He's going to be exceptional. He's not the right fit with Kim. And that's who they need to build around is Kim defensively build the defense around Kim. You've got Mizrahi at right back. Looks like you'll need a new left back. You've got Kim as your lead center back. Get someone pacey in next to him by a left back and don't be messing around spending a hundred million on Antonio Silva, who, like I say, is going to be exceptional, but isn't a good fit. AC Milan and Juventus are interested in signing Yusuf N. Naziri when he enters the final year of his contract this summer. Yeah, he's a good player. I uh, don't know if he's good enough to start for... Well, he probably is. Yeah, no, he probably is at this point. He's Yeah, no, he is. He's good enough to start for, for Milan because you'd imagine Giroud moves on. Juventus don't really need him unless they're selling Vlahovic. Borussia Dortmund forward Daniel Malin says he would be keen to return to Arsenal to fulfil his dream of playing in the Premier League. He was in the Arsenal Academy for a number of years before deciding to go uh, back to the Netherlands with PSV. Right, folks, that's me. I will speak to you all on Monday. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Network.